You're listening to Talking Buildings, the podcast related to all things about the built environment. Here's your host, Paul Angus. Okay, today we're joined by a very special guest. We have Andrew Pettifer joining us on the show today. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks, Paul. Good to be here. Thanks for joining us. And um, I'm just trying to remember the first time we actually met. I think it's when I first came around on 2012 when I joined the Sibsey New South Wales Committee. Maybe it's 2013, around about that time. Yeah, so I we think well, that's right. We, did, we definitely sat on the Sibsey Committee together for a while. Yep. Uh, now I tend to just see you at cocktail parties around. You know, <laughs> when, when we used to do cocktail parties. Yes, that's a long time anymore. ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So before we start today, I just want you to think about five standout moments. And these can be anything you want. And what we're going to do, we're going to place them in a virtual time capsule. So this is going to be your legacy. So make sure it counts. And we're also going to look at um, one that you'd rather forget as well. So we'll come back to that later. So keep that at the back of your mind. Okay. And uh, good luck with that. Okay. So um, I think this is the first time I've seen you for quite a while. I can't remember the last time I've seen you. It might have been, was it the ADA event? Maybe the ADA um, awards, perhaps? Oh, could have been. That's, yeah. that's, that's well, easy 12 months ago, wasn't it? Mm, yeah, I think, yeah. I, I think yeah, it was sure. the last time I've seen you. But um, you're looking good, looking very refreshed and invigorated. And uh, um, I understand there's been a lot of change for you. So it'd be good to hear all about your journey. I understand you just joined Mont McDonald's. Um, mm-hmm. and, and maybe if you can give everyone your elevator pitch as to who you are and what you do. Okay, yeah, that's a good place to start. Um, so look, in short, I'm a consulting engineer. Uh, that's what I've done all my career. I've got a mm-hmm. technical background in building services engineering. Yeah. Uh, and most of my recent experience has been in leading teams uh, and developing business. So before I came to Australia, I spent 10 years with a firm called Gifford & Partners. Uh, they're now part of Rambolt. Yeah. Um, I was a partner there. And then I immigrated to Sydney and joined Arab in mm-hmm. 2007. Okay. Uh, and there I went on to lead uh, their buildings group, a large multidisciplinary group there. Yeah. Uh, and I was also a Sydney office leader. Um, but as you say, uh, you know, I've, I've now moved on to my, Mark McDonald. I left Arab in June, uh, spent a few months traveling around Australia mm-hmm. uh, with my wife and Nibbler the dog. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and yeah, now I've started a new role at, at uh, Mark McDonald where I'm the built environment sector leader for Australia. So it's a regional leadership role. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot there. A lot, a lot happening there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, no, it's been a big year. <laughs> So where do we start? Um, I was just thinking there that, you know, with um, NEROC week, it's just passed and that's all celebrating the history and culture and achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders people. That might be a good place to start, you know, with um, with your recent travels and with Indigenous people being the first farmers, being the first architects, you know, the first engineers even. And what with you being part, just back from your recent travels, maybe can you elaborate a little bit on what you've learned on your recent travels and how they can be relevant to what we do? Oh yeah, sure. So we um, just just to explain to people what we we did, uh, we bought an RV uh, and uh, set off and managed to get into Queensland whilst the borders are open in July. Um, yeah. Got all the way up to Cairns, uh, across to Darwin, down through the middle, uh, across to Kings Canyon and Uluru, um, down to Adelaide, and then mm-hmm. back back through Broken Hill. So we did the sort of half half the country loop, yeah. uh, really, because we couldn't get into WA because the borders were closed. But, of course, uh, yeah. Every other border we could get through, so that was that was cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, in relation to Aboriginal communities, what, what I would say uh, is that it really helps to get outside of the main urban centres yeah. and travel to, rem- to be reminded that this is Aboriginal land that we live on, always, mm-hmm. always was, always will be. 
And the visibility of ad- Aboriginal peoples and their cultures is much higher in regional communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those people that live in major cities, I think a lot of them would really benefit from just getting out and immersing themselves a little bit in, in that to, to, yeah. get, to gain a better appreciation. Uh-huh. But I've got a question for you, actually, Paul. Who, who would you say are the most prolific tower builders in Australia? The most prolific tower builders? This is a trick question. No, no. It is, isn't it? No, well, maybe. I mean, you, 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 you might think maybe Lend-Lease, mm-hmm. maybe Multiplex. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to tell you, and I yeah. haven't appreciated this, the answer is termites. Termites? Okay, yeah. I see where you're going with this. Yeah, look, termite, well, and really you've got to travel to see this, but termite mounds mm-hmm. literally dominate the landscape in mm-hmm. North, North Queensland um, and Northern Territory. There are literally millions of them wow. everywhere. Yeah. Um, and when you think about it, a termite is a few millimeters uh-huh. in, in, in tall, and yet they build towers up to sort of eight meters and above. Mm-hmm. So they're pretty good structural engineers. For sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> but also they're famously renowned uh, as kind of ESD or passive design creatures. I see where you're going with this as well, uh, yeah. Yeah, so you know, <laughs> you know, people talk about, um, you know, uh, Federation Square and, and the ground-coupled yep. um, cooling and so on, and uh-huh. that was inspired by termites and there's a bit of a kind of myth that evolved that termites have somehow got this sort of like a magic air conditioning system and can keep their mounds at constant temperatures and you you, you come on sometimes hear that kind of quoted but actually the truth is what they're very good at is Mm -hmm. um essentially they ground couple their environment okay so what that means is that termites are capable of keeping very close control of the environment within a termite mound but it's essentially a reflection of the ground temperature of mm-hmm. the location that they're in, yeah, and that's and that's what they very effectively uh, do. So yeah, termites um, mounds. Uh, honestly, I, you've got to actually see it to believe it. They yeah. are literally everywhere. Okay. Uh, there must be a line across which they, you know, basically just over halfway up, maybe two thirds of the way up Australia, uh-huh. ab- above which, yeah, they, they dominate the landscape. Wow! And if you think about that, and you transfer that into human form. That must be pretty high as well, yeah. isn't it? You know? <laughs> I, did, I did work that out. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of as, as high as the tallest buildings that humans build, you know, which is mm. about a kilometre high or something uh-huh. in, in, in Saudi Arabia or where, wherever it is. It's, it's, it's comparable. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and then the other thing from a passive design point of view, I don't know if you've ever been to a place called Kuba PD in yeah, South Australia. No. Um, it's basically um, an, an opal prospecting town. Okay. And it's a really, really interesting place. And one of the things that's interesting about it is that uh, people live underground. Oh, did they? Well, really? yeah, they literally do. Yeah. Um, and it, you, when, when somebody said that to me, I kind of imagined something, you know, that you'd see a hole in the ground and they dug down. But that's not kind of quite how it works. What, uh-huh. what is you've got these massive, massive sort of rock outcrops. Mm-hmm. Um, and people um, literally would just, just essentially blast into the, the rock. Right. Um, and uh, they put a facade on the front front door, maybe a window or two. And but what what they actually live in is behind that. And of course, the yeah. reason they do that is Cooper PD is one of the hottest places in in Australia. Uh-huh. I mean, it's it's you know routinely in the high forties. Yeah. Um, and uh, in order to not have to air condition, mm-hmm. uh, they're able to maintain you know temperature in the twenties mm-hmm. just by living uh, in these sorts of environments. So that was a really kind of interesting wow. um, thing to observe. That yeah. was kind of relevant to what sure. we do. I had no idea. No, <laughs> honestly, it's well, it's well worth a visit. If, if you've yeah. seen the, uh, if you've seen the, the, the Priscilla Queen of the Desert film. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, Nathan, which yeah. is a great, it's a great film. Mm-hmm. They go Sydney, Broken Hill, 
Cooper, mm-hmm. PD, Alice Springs. That's, that's oh, okay. Um, so uh, well worth having a look at. They also go to Kings Canyon, and there's a bit where they do a kind of dancing around the canyon. That's really cool as well. So right. um, yeah, worth looking at that again. Yeah. Um, the the other thing I would just sort of highlight in terms of what we observed was mm-hmm. kind of learnings around why why are places where they are in in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, now sometimes it's about an agricultural town if you're in the you know food basket sort of areas. Yeah. Very often it's about minerals mm-hmm. or precious stones. Mm-hmm. So opals, as I mentioned, Cooper PD, uh, yeah. Lightning Ridge is also an opal town. You've got, place, you've got places called Emerald and Ruby, self-evident mm-hmm. what, they, uh, what they discovered there. Broken Hill, of course, is the minerals. So a lot of it is around minerals and, and um, precious stone. Okay. Um, and then the other one, which, uh, which, which is really quite interesting, I hadn't appreciated, was why... Why the towns that are up through the middle of Australia? Mm-hmm. Why are they where they are? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that is that in the back in the eighteen fifties, uh, there was a, a glo- the, I guess a forerunner to the internet. Glo- a global tele- telegraph network was mm-hmm. being built. Okay, and Australia was going to be connected to uh, Asia effectively at yeah. Darwin, mm-hmm. and uh, Adelaide decided they wanted to be the first to be connected. Mm-hmm. So they built a telegraph line that connected South Australia up mm-hmm. through the middle to Darwin and okay. then onto Asia. Yeah. And that essentially is kind of the route of what is now the road that goes up and down the middle of Australia. Yeah. And what you'll find is every 250, 300 kilometers, there will be a town. Uh-huh. Well, there once was a town, so a yeah. lot of them are still there. And the reason for that is that they had very rudimentary electric batteries, mm-hmm. which could only boost the signal for so far. And that was okay. about 250, 300 kilometers. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Um, so... You know, places like Alice Springs, mm-hmm. um, Tennant Creek, Daly Waters, Catherine, all these places up through that that route uh, yeah. are, are there because of that reason. So it's kind of wow. interesting to learn so much about our country. Yeah, you know, for sure. By, by virtue of having done, had the opportunity to do that. Yeah, travel. yeah. And did you know all about this before no, or is this all no, in your no, travels? We, yeah. we just learned so much. You know? <laughs> and I guess that's something, you know, that, you know, I'd, you know, happy to share with people. You just, you don't know what you're going to learn until you get out there. Uh-huh. You know, and I think a lot of people in Australia, they spend all their time in, in the urban centers. Yeah. And, in the main cities. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and so if you, I mean, obviously we're very fortunate to have the opportunity to do that, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if anybody else does, I, I'd, I'd really recommend it. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. And you, you had an RV, did you? Is that what you said? We, yeah, yeah, we invested in one. Okay. Yeah. So you've actually purchased one. We purchased it. Okay. Yeah. So you're planning on doing this again. Yeah, well, yeah. well my, my wife and I actually own a caravan park out in regional uh, New South Wales. Say that uh, again? You own a caravan, own a caravan park? park yeah. <laughs> Gilgandra really? Caravan Park. Yeah, yeah, if anyone's in that part of the world, uh, drop in. Uh, we obviously don't live there, but uh, my stepson and his family, they live there. It's a family business. Okay, um, yeah. So, uh, so our um, RV, which we call Winston, Winston? that's his nickname. Why? Uh, I don't know. Good as any. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, so, so Winston lives at the caravan park, and when we ah. when we go out there, as I will be this weekend, we will stay in it, and then we'll okay. take it out. But you know, I'm knocking on a bit, and uh, at some point in the future, I'll, you know, I'll retire, and it'll yeah. be nice to do a bit more travelling then. And so we thought we'd Indeed. actually buy one rather than okay. hire it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. And how many kilometres did you get up on uh, on Winston? Did- uh, we did about twelve and a half thousand. Really? In that trip? Yeah. And how long was that yeah, for? Three months. Three months. That's a fair distance. Yeah. yeah. So what, what, what we typically would do is we'd go a couple of hundred, two to 250 kilometers in a day. Yeah. Except uh, in some places like in Northern Territory, you can go mm-hmm. 200, 250 kilometers and, and really there's nothing. Yeah. So going uh, sort of north through uh, 
Northern Territory, you know, yeah. we might do five or six hundred kilometers just to get just to get there. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Did you see some sites then? Because you, I mean, you know, maybe it's not so much the droughts now and you know fires, but when you're up there, did you see some skiddy sites and like you know, where like lakes have dried up or you know, or nothing like that? Well, actually, what was surprising about mm. the desert was how green it is. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, surprisingly, because um, you think of desert, you know, Australian desert as just being sort of just just sand and rock yeah. and really barren. Uh-huh. And there are some bits like that, uh, generally in South Australia, near Cooper PD, for example. Mm-hmm. And they're the bits that all the filmmakers use, like okay. Mad Max and this sort of thing yeah, 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 there, yeah. because yeah. that's that iconic I- imagery of what a Australian desert is. Yeah. And actually most of it's not like that. Most of it's covered in shrub, trees, bushes. Uh-huh. Okay. It's actually it's actually quite green, which is uh, and and termite mats, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was pretty interesting. And even and even when we went to Broken Hill, yeah, it was all green. And they they'd had the reason is that they'd had the, the the highest amount of rainfall in the previous two weeks that they've had in seven years. Yeah. And and as soon as it rains, uh, the desert turns green. Oh, so there's okay. all this all this sort of vegetation ready, yeah. wait, waiting for the rain, and then yeah, it yeah. Just, so that oh, that was that was kind of interesting. Uh-huh. Um, Although in a way it would have been nice to have seen how it normally is. But yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Inspired me. I've never, never done that either before. I, I mean, I think the furthest north I've been uh, is Hamilton Island. I've oh been, yeah, I've been across the Perth, but I mean, it's just like what you say. It's just major city, so I've never actually sort of gone on a journey mm. into the unknown. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely take that on board. Alrighty, cool. Um, so we're going to change the subject a little bit and go into leadership, leadership in the consulting environment. Um, you know, being in your leadership role. I would just like to start, I mean, obviously in the new world where we're in with this COVID scenario that we're in, um, we need to work more collaboratively than ever. And um, yeah, this has become harder as we navigate to work separately and also caring leaders and organizations to work hard to ensure people's emotional well-being is not being suffered. And after all, it's pretty, pretty easy to feel disconnected and disengaged when you're working alone with the wonderful freedom of working from home. But it's unlikely that all employees will opt to go back in the office in the future for full time. So leaders need to sort of develop the capability to not only lead a dispersed team, but unite everyone together. So I was just wondering, um, get, get some thoughts on your, on your thinking on how would you improve your cohesive leadership capability and what advice would you give to the up and coming leaders of tomorrow? That's a big question. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah thanks for that. I think fundamentally good leadership is good leadership. And yeah. what, I w- what I would say that is that in the current environment and what we've seen this year, mm-hmm. you almost have to kind of ramp, ramp it up. So the fundamentals, which I'll, which I'll mention in a moment, are, are the same. But you yeah. just kind of have to do it in a more overt yeah. and mindful way because you're not around people necessarily all the time. Yeah, yeah, it can be tricky. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, it's really clear what good leadership looks like, I think, in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, authenticity, of course, really, really important. Yeah. Uh, uh, being honest and open about who you are and what you are and willing to yeah. share. Model the behaviors you want to see because mm-hmm. people do follow the leadership behavior that they, yeah. they see. So if, if, if leaders in an organization behave well, then everybody behaves well. I get you. Yeah. yeah, leading by example, yeah. Yeah, lead yeah. by example, mm-hmm. exactly. Treat others how you want to be treated yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, one, one of the things I often say to people, um, you know, that working with or, or, or for me is, you know, is, is a good example is, when my kids were at school and they're not now, yeah, well, well past that. But when they were, you know, if if they were performing at school sports day or assembly or whatever, mm-hmm. that would be my priority to be there. Got you, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that's entirely reasonable. Uh-huh. But I would also say to somebody else, if that's my priority, I'd expect to you to have that same okay freedom yeah. to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. 
And so what you're doing is you're offering empathy, you're offering trust, mm-hmm. uh, you're creating a connection yeah. with with people. When you say that sort of thing, yeah. and, and not only say it, but obviously do it. So that, yeah. that's always been my kind of approach. Treat others as you want to be treated. Uh-huh. Trust is huge. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, not micromanaging, trusting. Because in our environment, you know, we take on people who are very smart people. Mm-hmm. They're highly educated. Mm-hmm. Um, they're motivated. They mm-hmm. don't need their manager to tell them what to do all the time. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. So trust that your people uh, can do. The flip side of that, uh, though, is dealing with poor performance. Yeah. You know, if somebody's not performing well in their role, now there's, there's, there's a reason for that. And it might be they haven't got the right skills. You know, it might be they're not enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it might be that they're in the wrong culture and they've got to go and work somewhere else. But yeah. the, the, the worst thing you can do is just that, let that fester because mm-hmm. right? it's not good for anybody. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's another thought. Um, this one's one of my favorites. Don't let money control your decisions, mm-hmm. either in, as a person yeah. or, or as a business. Okay. I think for me, m- money is something that kind of flows when you get everything right yeah in a way yeah yeah but don't you know don't chase the the the, the money so oh i see what you're saying don't chase the money don't chase the rainbows what grass, <laughs> is the grass any greener yeah i mean, I mean when, I, when i when i came to australia yeah i think i earned my starting salary was about half of what i was earning in the uk oh really yeah so you could drop yeah yeah i took a yeah. drop to come here mm-hmm. uh but that was a that was a choice it was a lifestyle choice completely yeah, changed yeah. my life and within yeah. three years i was or three or four years, whatever, I was back to where yeah, I was, right? So back to where you were. Yeah. You've got to play the longer game, I think. Yeah, I mean, recruiters are really bad for that as well, aren't they? They'll dangle the carrot. <laughs> Talk to me about recruiters. Um, and, uh, but then the other thing is just about communication. I think this is, this is definitely one of those things that you have to ramp up in the, you know, in the COVID world. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't just assume that people are, you know, sat at home happily getting on with their work. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure when I was in that position and I'm sure, you know, with, with, with you, all the big firms, yeah. tweak that pretty quickly. You've yeah. got to, you've got to find all those ways to be yeah, um, for sure. got checking to adapt. in yeah. and, and, and communicating. So mm-hmm. as I say, I, I think good leadership is good leadership. Um, sometimes you have to amp it up a bit and other times you might back it down a bit. Yeah. Um, and definitely, you know, the year that's just gone was a year to step up, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. And can I just ask as well, when, when, or how did you become a leader? I mean, did you, were you a natural born leader or is it something you learned from, you know, we, were you mentored into that role or how did it work for you? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, I was, I was very fortunate. I was, I think I was 30 or 31 years old and I was appointed by Gifford and, uh, mm-hmm. they gave me a team to lead. Yeah. I also remember I had an office at the end of this kind of, it was quite an old fashioned building. I had an office and a secretary sat, out, sat outside the office and mm-hmm. I was the leader. Okay. <laughs> so it was kind of bit old-fashioned in these, you know, yeah, yeah. by um, current standards. And was that a leader of the office? Or? Well, of that group. Of so the, group, the building so services team okay, within, yeah. that, within that uh-huh. um, business. And um, and how did you feel doing that? Was it like a shock to you or was it something you sort of, you know? I look, I, I was up for the challenge, but yeah. I learned a lot in a very short space of time. And one of the reasons was people started to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and they left because, you know, there was a guy who would have aspired to have had that role. Yeah. He decided he would leave mm-hmm. some of the people who had, friends of his yeah. you know, and the whole thing yeah. kind of unraveled a bit but i was and you mentioned mentoring I, so one of the partners in the business at the time sort of took me under his wing and, and okay and, and really what he did was he, he gave me confidence that what was happening was fine mm-hmm. it seemed like everything was falling in a heap yeah you know for him he, he said well you know this this is just kind of naturally what can happen uh-huh. and of course what it does is or what it did for me was gave me the opportunity to start to hire people myself yeah um and you know, one of the things I realized very, very quickly was hire people who are better than you are at doing it. 
Yeah, that's what they say, isn't it? Surround people <laughs> who are better than you or, or can complement what you're doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. compliment. That's, yeah. that's another good way of putting it. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's what I that's what I started to do, and mm -hmm. then I realised that if you employ somebody, you naturally have a bond with that person. Yep. Because what what you've done is you you I've invested in let's say it's you, Paul. Yeah. I've invested in you because I've decided that you're the sort of person who wants. So I I want you to succeed because I chose you. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Equally, it's natural. Mm -hmm. e equally vice versa. You've you've committed to this role. You want to you want to demonstrate you can do the role and succeed. Yeah. So people you've personally hired, you have yeah. a different level of relationship with than people that you've inherited. If you like. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that was that was something that I I, I kind of learned, uh -huh. and and then I guess I did okay, and and just stayed yeah. doing leadership. And here you are now. Yeah. <laughs> the rest so is I history. Twenty five years later. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what are the unique challenges to your job people wouldn't think about or know about? Yeah. Look, it's a, that's a tricky one. I mean, the, I mean, in my in my current role at, at McDonald, yeah, um, we're we're starting to introduce some really interesting kind of new approaches to how we do what we do, um, specifically around the idea of you know, regenerative design. Uh -huh. You know, how we're going to get to net zero, net zero carbon, that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. that's, that's 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 kind of not that unusual, but it is mm -hmm. where we have to go. Yeah, but but one one thing that it did you know does occur to me. And I'm not sure if this answers the question or not, but mm -hmm. one of the things that I've realized is when you make decisions as a, as a leader, well, we, first thing is we make decisions all the time. Yeah. Deciding not to do something mm -hmm. is making a decision. Okay. I sometimes think about, I'm a, I'm a football referee as well as. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, so yeah. I do a bit of refereeing. Yeah. All the time you're not blowing the whistle. You're making a decision. So there's a tackle mm -hmm. you're, you're looking at, you're saying that's fine. Carry yeah. on. Right. So, and where I'm getting to is to say, actually saying no mm -hmm. is, is is as often more more um, powerful than saying yes. So, okay. so so people often think about what is it I want to do? I want to get into that market. I want to work with that client yep. or, or whatever, and that's mm -hmm. fine. Yep. Sometimes those opportunities come to you, mm -hmm. and it's very easy just to think, oh, yeah, we'll jump at that. We'll jump at that. We'll mm -hmm. do that. We'll give that a go. Yeah. When very often mm -hmm. the right thing to do is to say, hang on. Well, we, we didn't set out to do that. Uh -huh. um, that may be not in line with our strategy or, or our or our beliefs, yeah. maybe. Okay. We shouldn't be doing that. Right. So so I think as a leader, one of the really important things is knowing when to say no. Right. Okay. That makes sense. I think so. Are you kind of saying it's like listen and adapt and not just going with a plan all the time so you're kind of well, assessing the situation? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Got, you, I mean, you, indeed, you've got to be flexible and, yeah. and, adapt, and adaptable, but you've got to have a plan. Mm -hmm. And you've got to know when things are outside that plan. Yeah. And be willing to say, no, you know, you know what it's like bidding for work, for example. Yeah. Every time you bid for a project, you're probably going to spend a minimum of, say, $5,000. Could be well, way higher than that. Yeah. yeah. So you're making an investment for sure. in that. Uh -huh. Now, if you don't think you've got a right to win that project, you can't put forward a compelling mm -hmm. reason why you and your team are the right people, yeah. then don't spend that money. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, that's good. Thanks for that. Um, um, perhaps as a, an industry leader leading a passionate and enthusiastic team, and you're involved in community work as well, you're changing people's lives. And it must obviously bring to you personally a little bit of happiness. I'm sure you've got some good news stories and projects that you've worked on in the past, You know, whether it be in London or um, over here in Australia. But I'm sure you've got a few, haven't you? Oh, uh, look. It made a difference, perhaps? Yeah, so? look, I, I mean, of course, of course, we work across different sectors so some are more obviously kind of tangible social value than others maybe yeah. you know working in healthcare working in schools yep. those sorts of projects uh -huh. 
I think in it, you know, it's, it's a great thing about what we do that we can walk around the city and and actually look at the physical manifestation of our of yeah. our work and our teams' work and the you know the wider teams that we work with and the clients and so on. Uh-huh. So that's a that's a really nice thing to be able to say. I, you know, I was involved in that one. Yeah, that yeah, one, that one. Yeah. What What I particularly enjoy is is seeing uh, the public engaging uh-huh. those those projects. So, so a, a good example is you know down at Darling Darling Quarter, uh, Tumbalong Park. There's there's a really nice children's playground. Okay, yeah. It's a world class playground, uh-huh. which was part of that commercial development that was done by Lynn Lease right uh, about yeah. ten years ago now. Uh-huh. So to actually go down and sit there, maybe have a beer and watch people interact with this sort of environment that we've created, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I think it's really cool. Yeah, uh, Central Park's another great example of a project that, that that I've been involved in. Yeah, you know that. It, it's a wonderful new bit of the city uh-huh. and, and people, you know, you drive past and you see all the greenery and, yeah. and the cantilever and anything. You go, wow. You know? yeah, yeah. And then you go engage in it. You go into the park or you go into the shopping center. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of creating the world that we enjoy mm-hmm. and, and doing that well, I, yeah. think, I think is, is something I derive a lot of satisfaction from. Awesome. Well, that leads on to the next question. And so what project are you particularly proud of? So what's a standout, you know, what's a, an iconic project perhaps, or might not even be an iconic project, but what's the best or the one that stands out for you? But the one that stands out for me is, is actually 50 Martin Place. Okay. Um, so that project that was completed probably about four, four, I don't know, four or five, eight, time goes so quickly, doesn't it? Five, six years ago. <laughs> now, I don't know. Um, and this is in Sydney, yeah? In Sydney. Yeah, so yeah. 50 Martin Place was the formerly a Commonwealth Bank building. Mm-hmm. Uh, still still has Commonwealth Bank as the uh, the ground floor tenant in the banking hall. Yeah. But the building was bought by Macquarie mm-hmm. uh, and to, to turn into their global uh, headquarters. Mm-hmm. And there were a number of things about that project that made it really special. Uh-huh. And the, the outcome was, it was fantastic. If anyone's been there, they'll see that. And it actually, it did win the Property Council Development of the Year that, that year. So it was yeah. a highly kind of regarded project. Uh-huh. But the things, some of the things I like about it, one was it was a fantastic team effort. Yeah. Great client, visionary client. Contractor got involved really early. So that was Multiplex. Yeah. You know, before we had a DA, we had a contractor on board. And what that mm-hmm. meant was that we, we had a highly collaborative approach to the whole process. The subbies mm-hmm. were involved early. Yeah. You know, it wasn't sort of, you know, like a prima donna consultant team. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a very much a, a kind of team effort. Yeah. And then some of the technical things we did. So we're working with a really important heritage building. Uh-huh. Uh, and and with, with the the vision to turn it into a world class workplace, yeah, and and, and corporate headquarters, mm-hmm. the challenge we were given was to essentially represent that building, mm-hmm. because what what had happened was in, back in the seventies there'd been a, a refurbishment, yeah, and and all all the beautiful sort of ornate ceilings and everything had just been covered up with you know nasty um, suspended ceilings and yeah. that sort of stuff that you get in the seventies. Um, so what, what, what McCrory wanted to do was to reveal the, the inherent value and quality of this, yeah. this really important heritage building. Uh-huh. Uh, and our design response to that, from, and bear in mind I'm a mechanical services engineer, right? so mm-hmm. it's not that often that, um, that, that the air conditioning becomes really front and centre in terms of the, the overall design strategy, but in mm-hmm. this case it did. So, so what we did was we put in a, a raised access floor, mm-hmm. uh, put the air in through the floor, Mm-hmm. Uh, and then integrated chill beams within the um, the structural beam sort of system that existing in the building, yeah. uh, and thereby were able to reveal the the structure ah, of, of, of yeah. the building. Uh-huh. Um, and one of the things that is kind of I always smile about was that um, a, a another engineer who will remain nameless had told the architect they had they'd had a look at the building for yeah. a, for another reason. Mm-hmm. They told the architect that what we were suggesting wouldn't work. Wow. 
You had to prove them wrong then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So it became a bit of a stone, standing joke to him in the architect. He kind of saved me out again. He said, this is going to work, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah, don't worry. It'll yeah. Work. It's, it's all good. <laughs> um, and, and, and then what was the, the kind of icing on the cake was that, you know, when the when Macquarie moved into the building and their engine, engineering manager um, said to us, mm-hmm. The feedback on this building is fantastic. People are saying the quality of the air in this building is really good. Is that and right? You, and you don't often get that. If you're an air conditioning engineer, yeah, you normally either get complaints, too uh-huh. hot, too cold, too stuffy. Yeah, we can never com- you know, or, or you get nothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, right? Yeah. You don't get people coming and saying the air in this building is really great, generally. That's really good. Uh, yeah. So that so that was so that was cool. So now it was just a really good project. And you know, everybody played played their part. We 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 were doing mainly building services. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we had TTW on the structures. Uh, as I say, multiplex as the as the builder. Uh, yeah. It was just a really good all round team yeah. effort. Well, yeah. that's good to hear. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. I can see how excited you're getting as well describing yeah. it. And and <laughs> uh, and I managed to get it on the front page of the City Journal. You did not, yeah. did you? Yeah, Look yeah. at you. I've still got a copy at home if you want to see yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote a piece about it and they published it, so that was cool. I like your style. That's good. Nice one. Can I ask about the philosophy around the, the, the latest or the new the newest ARIP Sydney office that you were involved with? I mean, it's obviously a great legacy and I'm sure that you're pretty proud of. Can you perhaps just share the journey that you went on from start to finish on that? Yeah, that was, that was a great experience for me, actually. I became the office leader uh, and the, the deal had just at that point been done. Mm-hmm. to agree to moving to 151 Clarence, which was um, uh, the new investor uh, development, which yeah. funnily enough also just won the Property Council Development of the Year. Oh, really? A week or two back, yeah. yeah. So that was the deal. But because Arab had done a, a deal with Investor whereby they would be doing all the base build uh, engineering mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, it, uh, obviously for a fee, and then, um, in, in it, you know, Arab agreed to sign up as the anchor tenant, which got the projects away. Yeah, and um, so it was a good deal for for, for all concerned. Yeah, but what it meant was, you know, you know how long at that point they didn't even have a DA for the building, and you know how long on a, a commercial tower in the in the city it takes uh-huh. to get the DA, uh, do the design, do the demolition, do the build, do the fit out. Yeah, it's a five year process. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So we so we signed the lease mm-hmm. uh, five years before we were due to move in. Really? Um, yeah. Wow. That's uh, the, forward planning, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's risky in a sense because uh, you don't know what's going to happen with rents. Yeah. Now, as it happened, they went the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that, so that was okay. Yeah. Uh, and also staff numbers. Uh, and mm-hmm. staff numbers were, were changing dramatically and we had to we had to deal with that as well through the, yeah. through the time. Okay. But by being involved right at the early stage and knowing that we were doing the fit out, mm-hmm allowed us to shape the base building to really yeah. suit what we wanted to do. Uh-huh. So the, the, probably the most overt example of that was that we put a, a full underfloor air conditioning mm-hmm. system in. Yeah. Bit of a recurring thing. Again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan of underfloor systems. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, the developer probably would have questioned that a lot harder, maybe wouldn't even have done it mm-hmm. if it wasn't for the fact that we were also going to be the tenant. Yeah. So they would say, well, if, if it's good enough for you and you're going to live with it, then mm-hmm. then we'll go with it. And yeah. um, uh, so we put in a full um, underfloor system. Again, that allowed us to be quite interesting and creative with what we were able to do at high level with mm-hmm. suspended lighting, exposed services and the like. Yeah. Big atrium down through the middle, full activity-based working mm-hmm. um, uh, solution. Uh, and I think created something that's, that's, that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Um, now, it's interesting to reflect on... Now, the usage of that building this year, of course, yeah. um, it's been empty for half half the year. Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, of course, I don't work there anymore, but I understand people are getting back into the office. But mm-hmm. 
you know, what, one of the things, one of the decisions we made was essentially in the primary work areas to increase mm-hmm. the density of workstations. Mm-hmm. And that then allowed us to create lots of other different, really, a real rich variety of different types of other spaces, which is great. Yeah. Can you give an example of that? What do you mean? Oh, so we had, you know, design studios, had an art, we had an art gallery, had sound labs, lighting labs. Yeah, yeah, okay. All sorts, all sorts of different breakout spaces and all that sort of thing. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, but now, mm-hmm. having driven the density of primary work areas yeah. and, and essentially bunched people up, is, is effectively what you're doing. We're giving yeah. them a, maybe a 1,200 or 1,500 wide desk, whereas in the, years ago there would have been two meters or maybe an L-shaped yeah, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, I know what you mean. In, in the post-COVID world, mm-hmm. you know, you would question mm-hmm. whether that's the right thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, we didn't have a crystal ball, so we didn't no, know. So, so I think some thought's going to have to go into, uh, not just for that company, but for, um, you know, for, for, for all tenants, yeah. how they're going to use space differently mm-hmm. in, in a sort of post-COVID world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. That's great. Well, that kind of links us on to the next question, because we're going to start talking about the theme of the future of engineering and challenges and opportunities for a profession going forward. So um, you kind of touched the point there, Andrew, but um, obviously the pandemic certainly fast-tracked various aspects in technology, allowing engineers to become far more versatile. So what has COVID-19 meant for you? You know, I have to say I'm a bit embarrassed to say that 2020 has been a, gr- a great year. For me. <laughs> <laughs> I must be the only person. <laughs> I know, I keep hearing everyone says, oh, it's been a terrible year for everybody. And I'm kind of thinking, oh, well, it's pretty good for us. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we basically ran away from it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because when you get into re- regional areas, uh-huh. uh, you know, it, 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 it basically doesn't really exist very yeah. much at all. And then, um, you know, Northern Territory. So anyway, so, so yeah, for that's, that's, that's kind of a bit of a curiosity, um, for, uh, for, for us. Obviously yeah. you experienced the, the first sort of lockdown in, in, in Sydney and, yeah. you know, we all jumped into the teams working and, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think most large organizations, I know it's certainly true of the two organizations that I've worked for this year, yeah. uh, actually dealt with that extremely well. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm, I'm sure Acom would have had a similar experience. Yeah, uh, for sure. You know, we, we, we'd all invested in the technology to the point where we were kind of ready to go. Mm-hmm. If it happened five years ago, it might have been a complete different Oh, story. yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So, um, but, you know, so it's kind of interesting to experience, although I, I was getting to the point where I was kind of, you know, itchy feet and, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to get in and into the office. And then, of course, everything changed for me. Yeah. But like, I think I, I think things are changing, really, like I, like I just was alluding to in terms of that thing about densities. I've been talking to some of our developer clients yeah. around, you know, because you know, they're, all, they're all still planning their next big office building and yeah, yeah. just like, you know, as if nothing had happened. So uh-huh. I sort of start to question them around what is the future for office. And, and I, I, at least two of them have said to me in the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. that what they expect is that there will be people, less people in the office. On the whole, people want to come back to the office. I think that's true. Mm-hmm. But people will also like to work one or two days a week at home. Yeah. So that necessarily means you've got maybe – 80% of the people in the office, mm-hmm. 70, 80%. Yeah. But then people are going to want more space. Mm-hmm. They're not going to want to sit cheek by jowl with each other. That's right. So the amount of space that offices need goes up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so what the argument at the moment seems to be, well, those two things will kind of cancel themselves, yeah. cancel each other out, and mm-hmm. we still need as much office space as, as, as we have done. Uh, I guess time will tell. Um, yeah. but the, and then the, the other thing is that, you know, the fundamentals of the Australian economy and the fact that, 
you know, this again has been seen to be a good place to be through, mm-hmm. through COVID compared to the rest of the world. You yeah. know, we'll, we'll continue to support the, the demand for office space. So that, so that yeah. seems to be the argument that the developers are, or, or that their thought process. Yeah. Um, but I think it does mean that, you know, fit outs will, will look different. Yeah. Yeah. Although I think that a lot of the benefits that you see for, from an ABW style office uh, are, are entirely consistent with with um, you know what we'll want offices of the future to be. So I, I, I don't think there's going to be a huge kind of step change in that mm-hmm. regard. Yeah. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the future of engineering now. Um, so if we look at um, other industries, you know, like the IT industry, for example, if we look at Google or Facebook or Amazon, what do you think we can learn from the way that they approach design and how can that be integrated into engineering? Mm. I guess I, I see two aspects to this. Mm-hmm. I mean, one is obviously, you know, the, the, the ever, you know, continuing march of digital in its, you know, in all its guises and what that means. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we know that the, the construction industry is lo- notoriously slow to pick up new things, but yeah. nevertheless, we are starting to see a lot more by way of automation, artificial intelligence, data analytics, and, and that, that really kind of immersive digital aspect to the way that we design, operate, and occupy buildings. So yeah. th- 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 that's kind of obvious that that's going to continue. But the, the mm-hmm. other thing that I think we can see happening, uh, you know, and this, this maybe goes to the wellness piece, but, you mm-hmm. know, uh, mental health, all these sorts of issues is around putting the human much more at the, the center of mm-hmm. how we design things. So human-centric yeah. design, if you like. Mm-hmm. And, and when you think about it, you know, the, the tech the tech companies have, have also kind of led in that space, yeah. whether, whether it be sort of user, user interfaces through devices or, and so on, or, or, or just the kind of the iconic design of mm-hmm. Apple products. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they've got that idea of kind of beauty and something that is appealing to humans. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we'll see more of that kind of human-centric approach to the way that we design the places that we occupy. Mm, nice. Um, and what role do you... Or what role do we as engineers have to play in the future of engineering? Look, I think I think we maybe historically see ourselves as as kind of designers, um, you know, in buildings, maybe a bit subservient to our architect friends and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah, I think we need to step up um, mm-hmm. more and, and become real drivers and advocates for change. Yeah, uh, and in the sort of change that we know needs to come. So I, I, I mentioned earlier that Mark um, McDonald, we're looking very closely at regenerative design principles. In, in other words, when we do a project, how do we give back more than we take? Mm-hmm. Right? So st- sustainability is really saying kind of, how do we maintain the status quo? In other words, in other words we don't make the world a worse place than we would have done mm-hmm. uh, had we not done this project. Yeah. Regenerative design is, is about saying, well, actually, how do we give back? Yeah, yeah. Right? So it's a great concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, we, and we collectively, Mark McDonald, but we, we as um, people need to, you know, and a broader community need to work out what does that actually mean and how are we mm-hmm. gonna how are we gonna do that. Now, and then, um, but if we don't advocate for that, who's going to? Mm-hmm. Um, I right. think the architects will come on the journey mm-hmm. um, too, which is great. Yeah. But we need so we need to be advisors, advocate ab- advocates, if you mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Uh, and not just subservient sort of designers of things. Yeah. The the other area, of course, in that same regard is is the whole move to to net net zero carbon. Yeah. And we're hearing that now from our major clients in both public and private sector, they want to know what does it mean mm-hmm. to get to net zero carbon as, as a development, but also in operation. Mm-hmm. So there's a real groundswell around 
these sorts of challenges. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge opportunity for us. You know, you say, well, how do we play our part in the future of engineering? Mm-hmm. And the answer is that we have to be able to articulate these arguments and have influence over what is going to be built, not just design what's going to be built. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the opportunity, I think. Awesome. That's really interesting. Um, I'm going to change the theme a little bit now and talk about ethics, ethics in the workplace. So you're, you're quite an advocate for climate change, and I've often read, and you're discussing online, that thought-provoking challenges aimed towards engineering, especially in relation to ch- climate change. So what do you see as the ethical challenges with design? Yeah, I mean, clearly we can't cross ethical boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, there's, if you like, a low watermark we need to be above. Yeah. Um, but as I was just alluding to, you know, we, we need to be leaders in this in this space and advocates mm-hmm. and, not, and not not be shy mm-hmm. to confront, you know, our, our clients, in, obviously in a friendly, collaborative way, but to challenge mm-hmm. our, our clients, whether yeah. they be, as I say, ma- major government organisations or, or major developers or universities, whoever it might be. Yeah. Because very often if you look at these organisations, you look on their website, they have very high aspirations that they claim corporately. Mm-hmm. And so we can hold them to account yeah. against those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's really kind of uh, useful. The other thing is you've got to walk the talk, right? So mm-hmm. um, Mott's, for example, Mott McDonald, have mm-hmm. demonstrated this by becoming the first engineering management and development consultancy to be certified carbon neutral globally. Really? Okay. Um, so that's, that's a great thing that we can hold up and say, look, we really mm-hmm. believe yeah. what we're talking about. This is how we're going to run our business. Yeah. And we want to be working with like-minded um, uh-huh. clients in that space. So, that's awesome. You know, I think, as I say, it goes back to having an opportunity, but being, you, you've got to know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Of course, you've got to need the technical skills, but you also need the, uh, the, the advocacy capability uh, and standing to be able to uh, move this agenda forward. Mm-hmm. You're also a, a very strong advocate for gender equality in the workplace, and you've been quite outspoken in this area. I follow you on LinkedIn. So <laughs> <laughs> how do you see gender equality improving in the workplace, and what can we all do to improve on this? Yeah, look, my impression is that the, the major engineering consultancies, the, the mm-hmm. sort of companies that you and I work for, yeah. are really leading in this area and mm-hmm. doing a lot of really progressive work, Yeah, uh, and that's good. But, you know, I always say that the long-term impact can only really come about by building the pipeline. Mm-hmm. We, need, we need more, you know, girls coming out of, uh, out of school and young women going to university and, and women coming out of university that want to come in mm-hmm. um, to, to work in the, in the built environment. Of course. Um, so that, that, you know, but that's a, an ongoing and sustained focus mm-hmm. required to, to kind of achieve that. Yeah. Absolutely. I know a lot of emerging female leaders oh, yeah. um, and, you know, the, the, the future is bright for them. But, mm-hmm. but what I would also say is that um, they don't want to achieve where they want to go in their careers because they're female. Mm-hmm. They, want to, they want to get there because they've got the right mix of skills and attributes yeah. to, be, to be that next generation of mm-hmm. leaders. And I, and I think that's entirely appropriate. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I was just wondering, do you get involved in like sort of non-for-profit organizations that are perhaps connected with industry um, that's also making a difference to people's lives? And if you do, what kind of advice would you give to anyone who's considering and getting involved in that kind of work? Yeah, look, I have to say, I don't, um, I'm not yet uh, reached the point in my career where I've, um, uh, where I've been giving my personal time. Well, that's certainly something I thought a lot about as, you know, as I reach kind of the, the latter stage of my, my, my career. But I, yeah. but, but I do 
personally contribute to two charities, mm-hmm. um, one of which is PIF, uh, oh, yeah. that, that's extremely well known. I just think the work they do is great and the way that they, 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 they mobilize our our industry mm-hmm. uh, to create really great outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've, um, it was something that I definitely sort of pushed for, in, in, you know, at, at Arab and yeah. now talking to Mots uh, about how they can get involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other ones, the other ones are Smith family. They, 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 when you think about it, those two charities are about trying to deal with inequality and creating opportunities. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm extremely lucky to have been born into um, privilege, essentially, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a a, a background where you know having food on the table wasn't an issue yeah being sent to school having the opportunity to go to university all those things that you, know, just, love, you, the know, you take for granted you take them for granted yeah. but there are so many people who don't have those opportunities yeah, yeah that's and, right. and you know how so how do we level the playing field and you know uh-huh. there's, there's just some organizations that are really trying to do that and i think that that that's of, of real interest to me yeah well, that's really good to hear they must be suffering as well in this this climate don't you think you know because they can't have their events and and whatnot but yeah, no, that's that's hmm. that's true. Yeah, um, for fundraising well, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, the the, the industry with with is highly supportive of uh, of of PIF. It's it's a great um, it's a great organisation. I'm sure that will continue. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I'm going to look at a little bit on career advice. Um, just reflecting on your journey. So you kind of touched upon it before, but um, what what kind of advice would you give to any up, up and coming engineers? Yeah, look, I, I talk to a lot of young. Engineers. One one of the things I like to do is when somebody joins a, a group that I'm part of, um, mm-hmm. is just have a coffee with them, have a chat, um, yeah. and and often they're younger engineers and they ask me these sorts of questions. And mm-hmm. so one one of the things I say is you've got to be you've got to be good at what you do. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, that means being good at one one part of what we do because mm-hmm. as, as you know, it's an extremely diverse range of skills that are needed to work in our our, our industry and, and and create the outcomes that we do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, in building services terms, you're typically kind of labeled a mechanical engineer, electrical engineer, hydraulic engineer, ESD, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you kind of got to be good, really good at one of those things. Mm-hmm. But, but, but equally, um, you know, unless, unless you're a real out and out technical expert in that field, mm-hmm. and of course that is one career path, mm-hmm. um, but that's, that's out of the ordinary. Unless you are one of those people, what you've actually got to do once you've developed that specialist expertise is to broaden your skill set. Mm-hmm. And that means broadening your technical understanding and mm-hmm. also other skills that are going to help you to achieve, you know, where you might want to go, whether it be project management or, 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 or leadership or, mm-hmm. um, or maybe turning into a kind of client side role or whatever, whatever your kind of aspirations or your thing is. Mm-hmm. You've, so, so they talk about this idea of a sort of T-shaped mm-hmm. leader and, and say, so, you know, you've got something that's deep, yeah. but also something that's, that's kind of broad. Okay. I see. Yeah. The other thing is what is, you know, what is your thing? Um, mm-hmm. And I think increasingly in the future, it's not, you know, it's probably not enough just to be able to say, I'm a really good, you know, all round engineer because what, be, 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 because when you, when you look at the sort of, and you know this, cause you, pitch for projects and put in proposals mm-hmm. clients want to know mm-hmm. what if you're going to come and lead a discipline in this or, or lead lead the whole group or whatever it is yeah what have you done that's relevant to to my yeah project yeah you know so what you know if it's a hospital what hospitals have you done or you know what laboratories have you done yeah so it, it, it is kind of forcing a i think a little bit more about mm-hmm. specialization yeah yeah so as a younger person is sort of evolving in their career you need to think about what actually what is your USP, if you like. What is it about you that you're going to be able to take, you know, mm-hmm. to a client or even a future employer and say, look, I, I'm 
really good at this. Yeah. This is what I do. Yeah. So that's something for people to um, ponder, I think. For sure. Um, I've, I've just t- t- touched a little bit on what you said at the start there, because especially for graduate, people who are straight out of university, you know, become, they might become an acoustic engineer or electrical engineer, but they might find six months down the line that they're, that's not for them. What kind of advice would you give to them? But they, maybe they won't still want to stay in engineering, but you... Yeah, look, well, it'll, it'll depend on the circumstances. You know, mm. some... You'd hope that if they're in, a, you know, an employer that does a wide range of things, that yeah. they will have opportunities. And certainly, you know, the multidisciplinary firms that I've worked for, that's one of the things that they're able to do is to yeah. allow people to sort of, I guess, try different things. Get or, a taster. Yeah. 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 And, and mm-hmm. so, you know, I guess smaller companies may be less less able to mm-hmm. offer that. But what, what I would say is a career is a very long thing. Mm. And, and the danger, if you if you stay in something you don't particularly enjoy, and you can probably flip quite quickly within the first couple of years. If you've been yeah. doing it for 10 years mm-hmm. and you're paying a mortgage on the basis of what you can earn yeah. doing that thing, it mm-hmm. actually becomes really difficult yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to change, you know? So sure. I, I guess the advice would be if you, if you get the sense that you're not enjoying it, yeah. change quickly. Yeah, therefore, yeah. Uh, so Andrew, so having started out overseas in the UK, do you have any advice on young inspiring engineers who are perhaps looking at opportunities overseas to experience engineering in different environments? Oh, like my advice would be jump at the opportunity if you get it, yeah. frankly. Uh, one, I don't really kind of believe in having regrets, but if, if there was one thing I look back at, you know, my, the early stages of my mm-hmm. career was that I probably didn't do as much as that as I could. And I had a couple of opportunities to do a bit of work overseas, and that was kind yeah. of interesting. Uh-huh. But when, you know, working now in global uh, organizations and seeing that the opportunities that are available to people in those organizations, mm-hmm. then, you know, it, it, it's a fantastic learning uh, and, and what I what have I I've observed is that the people who do go away and they they work in whether it be London, New York, or Singapore, or whatever, mm-hmm. when they come back, they're different people. Yeah, yeah. And they're not just different people technically; they just learn more life skills, yeah, more yeah. confidence. Yeah, for sure. And they're, they're they're closer to being a leader mm-hmm. than somebody who didn't go. Yeah. And it's just part of that journey. So, um, look, obviously, it's not not for everybody and for whatever you know some people don't have that opportunity and mm-hmm. uh you know so be it but if you do yeah i would go go for it are there any engineering or sustainability trends or focal points that you'd like to see being introduced here in ENZ? so you might something might be in america or europe or you know whatever yeah look i mean we talked earlier a bit about this concept of regenerative design the, the other aspect that goes with that you know net, and net zero carbon the other thing is this this, this thing about biophilic design mm-hmm. uh designing with and for nature yeah we we at, at mont madonna we're, we're very lucky to have amanda sturgeon working with us now she she was uh ceo of the living buildings institute in america yeah okay. um and uh, that 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 organization uh, I don't know if you're aware, they have a kind of rating tool. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind, it's kind of like Green Star on heat. <laughs> it's like the whole other <laughs> level, right? Yeah. Um, and, 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 and a lot of that is around this idea of working with, uh, more closely with, with, with nature. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really interesting angle. And we're, we're certainly, certainly taking that to, to clients and, and, and engaging around that. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying is, it's, you know, what, there's a whole other level of what we have developed this, this profession of ESD. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as you know, as, as we, the acronym we use here, and everybody kind of knows what that, what the boundaries to that are, and how you do six green star, etc. Yeah. What we're trying to do, and what I think we need, 
you know the broader profession and, uh, and industry needs to do is to say how do we go well beyond that mm -hmm. how, how do we create the next step change and what, mm -hmm. are, the, what are the levers we need to pull and i, I think this is this is what we're exploring with this uh, this concept of biophilic design regenerative design mm -hmm. uh, and the journey towards ne next zero yeah uh, next zero carbon and one, one of the great things about work practicing in australia is you know we actually have a pretty progressive industry here particularly the developers mm -hmm. Uh, you know, the, the work that Mervac did down at 200 Jewel Street, you're probably aware that it won the, the SIPSI or Building Services um, mm -hmm. Global Building Performance. Yeah, um, it's a good achievement, isn't it? Award. It's Fantastic global. achievement. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And some of the, you know, so Investor led the way on well buildings, at, mm -hmm. you know, 151 Clarence. Lendlease have, have led the way in, in sustainability, you know, over the years. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we, we actually have an environment where we can introduce these new ideas and, and start to push the boundaries. And, and so that's why it's kind of a pretty, a pretty exciting place to be from that point of view. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's time to open the time capsule. So we asked you at the very start there, I hope you've been thinking about this and you've got something on top of your mind. So let's hear your five standout moments and perhaps I'll elaborate a little bit on these. And, um, and also we'll chuck in one as well that you'd rather forget. So over to you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> well, I, I guess the first one would be graduating. You know, I got a first class honors degree. I'm really proud to achieve that. Yeah, but, uh, but in in a course which which was years above its time ahead of its time, I should say, mm -hmm. at Bath University. And really, what we learned was about sustainable design. Mm -hmm. And this is before the S word was kind of even yeah. you know known about, if you like. Mm -hmm. uh, but so yeah, having having kind of gone to that sort of leading school and come out sort of you know uh, uh, with that level of qualification was you know something I'm very proud of. So that was a great moment for okay. me. Okay, we'll put that in. I think I alluded to to it earlier being made a partner at, at, at Gifford I was mm -hmm. you know, and, and and therefore I guess being on that leadership journey quite early yeah um you know I was I, was, I think I was the youngest partner I'd ever had at the time yeah um, and at the time that just felt more normal to me uh -huh. uh, <laughs> it's like okay well why wouldn't they make me a partner but maybe that's yeah, my yeah. arrogance right yeah when I look back now I think well mm -hmm. actually at 35 years old wow that was that was quite a thing for them to have invested in for sure in me. yeah it's a fantastic um, opportunity as well wasn't it and, yeah you know, you know, yeah and it, was great, and it was a great firm mm -hmm. you know i mean i i i'm really really focused on culture in organizations it's really important to me that i work in organizations that i can feel mm -hmm. um a level of emotional engagement mm -hmm. and, and and with and i had that at gifford and i had that at arab and now i've got it at mock mcdonald anyway to have to have had that at, yeah. at that age was 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 quite a thing i think okay we're putting it in the time capsule i, I think you know, and you've done this too, um, mm -hmm. Paul. What's uh, that? Moving to Australia. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, the, the, it's a life changer, isn't it? A, a, a game changer. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, you know, bringing my family there. And, you know, I was with my kids the other day and I was just kind of like 22 and 24. And I said, you know, looking back, how do you feel about the fact that we moved to Australia? And they were like, well, pfft. Crikey, you know, thank God. Yeah, we did. Really? You know, they absolutely, <laughs> yeah, they, they completely, you know, love it here. So oh, that's good. They're very thankful. Yeah, yeah, and they get it. So, um, so that, you know, coming here and then having the opportunity to step into the role that I did and, and, mm -hmm. and, and again, sort of exercise that, yeah, sort of leadership in engineering was, was, uh -huh. was great. Another one that you've already kind of asked me about was yeah. the, you know, and I guess it's a moment, if you like, the opening of the, Arabs in Sydney office, yeah. know, having having had carriage of that project for so long, yeah, yeah, and and what was really cool about that project was that I got to be the client, mm -hmm. and, and that really allowed me to think think quite deeply about what is the role of a client in a project, mm -hmm. and how can I, as the client, help yeah. create 
the quality outcomes we want. Yeah. So obviously hiring great consultants, you know, we had Hassel and uh, WT working for us as QSs and so on and, and, and out doing the, all the engineering. Yeah. But um, yeah, to be able to deliver a project that was, if you like, my project because I, I mm-hmm. was the client. I'm, I'm not I'm not saying it was all me, of course. Yeah. But you know, I had that emotional engagement with yeah, that yeah. project. Yeah. So so that that was really cool. And you know, to uh-huh. have all our clients turn up and and party uh, to celebrate was was really good. Fantastic. And then I, I guess I need to say, you know, now having a new role mm-hmm. um, at Mott McDonald. Yeah. And to be given the opportunity to do a regional leadership role, which for me mm-hmm. was really the next level. But what, yeah. what what has been so nice about that experience is that you know, I, re- I really feel valued from day one mm-hmm. you know, and even before day one, you know, as, as soon as I started to engage with them, there was that yeah. sense that here was an opportunity that would be good for me and, and, and potentially, I, you know, obviously I've, I've got something I can offer into the role. So, mm-hmm. and to have that, you know, a relatively late stage in my career and be yeah. given that opportunity is fantastic. So I'd say they're the five kind of defining yeah. moment, moments almost of my career. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Okay, we'll consider it done. We're, we're putting them in the capsule. So what about one that you'd rather forget? Uh, look, look, here's one for you, like, because you're a... Um, you're, 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 you see, you're, you're answering, a question, answering a question with an answer question, aren't no, you? No, 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 no. I was going to say, because you're, you're a hydraulic um, engineer. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, this is, this is a hydraulics issue. Mm-hmm. So years ago, back it was in, the, in the early 90s, we were doing some projects. Actually, they were in Germany. Uh, it was recession time in the UK and we just took whatever work we could. And there was a, mm-hmm. uh, an American hotel chain that came over and wanted to build some hotels in Germany, but they didn't want to have to deal with the German language. So they set mm-hmm. up in UK and hired a UK design team. Anyway, okay. know, cut, a, cut a long story short. <laughs> I'm wondering uh, where you're going with yeah, this. Yeah. So, we, so we designed these hotels mm-hmm. and I remember this, the big American guy, and I won't try the accent, but what he, what he said to me, there's only two things you need to focus on in a hotel. Mm-hmm. He said, lots of hot water mm-hmm. and lovely soft towels. Mm-hmm. they're the two most important things <laughs> okay because yeah. it was a budget kind yeah. of travel yeah. sort of hotel uh-huh. anyway I, I i had tried to use i think you'd know this better than me is it the the, the b b guide whatever of um sipsy guide b sipsy guide b oh yeah it's got these kind of hot water oh the sipsy guide g yeah that's a public health guide yeah public health engineering yeah I don't know if it was in those days. Anyway, uh-huh. so out of Sibsi advice, yes. there was these tables and it showed you how to size hot water. Well, oh, yeah. I, I'd used this and come up with these um, hot water heaters and they're in the they're, they're installed. Right? Yes. This American client turns up and he mm-hmm. goes, what the, is that? Yeah. There's no way on earth they're going to give us, you know, because hot water is the most important thing. Yeah. But well, what was wrong? What was his? What was his it just didn't have the capacity. Oh, so it was undersized. It was think? undersized. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. And it probably was. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, it, was a, it was a stuff up, right? Yeah. And I remember going home that night mm-hmm. and curling up like in the fetal position. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Yes. And and and, and it was like you just know, wanted the, everything to like swallow you yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And and, and, then, and now, kind of look back, it, it kind of seems you know fairly trivial. But yeah. And when I think about that, what was that about? That emotional reaction I had was probably more my pride actually mm-hmm. that I stuffed up. Yeah. You know, and I and um, you know, it made me feel really bad. But um. Mm-hmm. You know, the reality is nobody died. Mm-hmm. You know? My my uh, my boss probably cost him a few thousand pounds, but mm-hmm. he was still driving around in his Porsche, so it didn't really make much difference. <laughs> but it was really about me and how I how and the learning from it was around how yeah, you yeah. deal with uh, situations that have you know where you failed basically. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think I had the emotional maturity at the time uh-huh. 
to deal with that. Hence yeah, yeah. my fetal position. But <laughs> now, now um, mm-hmm. I think I'd be okay with it. But no, yeah. just, it's just that's, that just sticks out in my head as something that was a bad experience for ah, me. I see. Okay. Awesome. Okay, then we're going to close the capsule and we'll put it in the ground and we'll take it out in another time. Very <laughs> <Totally> good. <laughs> okay, Andrew, let's play a game. Today, we're going to play Mastermind. And so, to our first contender, Andrew Pettifer is in the hot seat, everybody. Andrew has selected the chosen subject, Tottenham Hotspur. Your time starts now. Spurs are on their way to Wembley. Tottenham's going to do it again. Keep singing. They can't stop them. The boys from Tottenham, the boys from White Hart Lane. Boom. I, I remember a, a something from that when I was younger. I mean, what, is that a song from like a... a, like a it, was the, it was the FA Cup final song in 1981. Is that what it was? Because is that the one that goes, we're on our way to Wembley, our legs are all trembling. Yeah, that's right. That's is that the that same one? Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know why I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been in the charts or something at the time. Chaz and Dave. Yeah. Is it? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Wow, there you go. He shoots. He scores. It's a... Okay, question number two. Who scored Tottenham's first ever Premier League goal? I'll give you a clue. He's Scottish. He's Scottish. Forward? Mm-hmm. Oh. His initials are GD. You're struggling. Oh. Golden Jury? That's it. Way. <laughs> That's correct. Wow. Yeah. Mm, there you go. He shoots. He scores. It's a... See, there's, there's one going back a little bit to 19, 1998. Which three Spurs players were in England's 1998 World Cup squad? Oh, crikey. Where was that? 98. 1998, I think it's France, wasn't it? You remember France? Oh, crikey. Yeah, France. Um, Ledley? Ledley King? It's not what I've got here. That's <laughs> <laughs> three of them. Crikey. <laughs> uh, was Lineker playing for us then? Lineker? Uh, didn't he go to Barcelona in like 1986 or something? Was that maybe earlier than that? Oh, I'm struggling. Gary yeah. Mabbitt? No. no. Oh, I'll give up on this one. Oh, no. He's hit the post. How could he miss? So we've got Saul Campbell. <laughs> Why is that? Because he went to Arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> Got Darren Anderton. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Les, Les Ferdinand. Okay. There you go. Okay, question number four. Which three managers have been in charge of both Chelsea and Tottenham? Oh, crikey. Well, Mar- Mourinho, of course. Yep. Glenn Hoddle. Yep. <sighs> is it an old one? Hmm. I'm, 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 I think he's Spanish. Uh, if that helps you. Not or maybe or he Portuguese. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Name. No, I can't remember his name. It's Andre Villabo. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. A bit of us, yeah. Is he Portuguese or? Don't know. No, no, no. It was no good anyway. <laughs> You're crossing I'm, your arms. I've got two out of three on that one. <laughs> oh, no. He's hit the post. How could he miss? Which year was Tottenham Hotspur founded? Should do a clock on this, shouldn't I? Mm. Was it 1888? Oh, you're close. You got three guesses. <laughs> <laughs> right. 1887. 1889. 1886. 1882. Ah, of course. I should have yeah. known that. Should have known that. It says that Tottenham Hotspur were originally founded in 1882 by mm. Hotspur Football Club by a group of local school boys from the Tottenham area. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Oh no, he's hit the post. How could he miss? Here's another question for you. It's multiple choice. I'll make it easy for you. Who is Spurs' greatest ever goal scorer, scoring 266 goals in their career? Jimmy Grace. Correct. Didn't even have to read it out there. It's brilliant. He shoots. He scores. It's a Who are Tottenham Hotspur's five top all-time scorers? This might be a little bit more difficult for you. Uh, Jimmy Greaves. Yep. Uh, Harry Kane. Yep. Um, do you mind Defoe? Teddy Sheringham? No, not that out there. No. Uh, oh, crikey. Uh, Bobby somebody, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're on the right track. What's a common, what's a common last name in England? Brown. Bobby Brown? No? Bobby Jones? Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby Smith. That's it. Yay. Oh, dear. It's before my time. Love it. Um, it was Jimmy Greaves, 266 goals. Bobby Smith with 208. Harry Kane's got 181. Martin Chivers, 174. Chivers. There you go. And Cliff Jones, 159. Jones. Right. Mm. Oh, no. He's hit the post. How could he miss? When did Tottenham Hotspur last win the Premier League? Oh, you're taking the mic now. <laughs> uh, until this year, mm-hmm. we've not... Oh, you're feeling, you're feeling confident. Well, we're top now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Uh, so so this, this is the answer. The official answer is, this may be seen as a trick question, as Spurs have yet to win the Premier League since it was formed in 1992-1983 football season. Their yeah. last win, the top flight came when the club won the old first division title 1961. in 1961. There yeah. you go, boom. He shoots. He scores. It's a goal. Okay, question number nine. Who did Spurs play in the last ever game at White Hart Lane? Ah. Was it Liverpool? Very, very close. Very close. Well, it's not like Liverpool, it wasn't. Was it, wasn't it wasn't Liverpool. It wasn't ever. In, I just think you're in the right region in North Man United. The same Manchester United. Yeah, right. yeah the, man, the match was played on the May the 14th, 2017. And guess what? Spurs 1-2-1. One, one. Spurs were unbeaten at home that whole season. Is that right? Mm-hmm. There you go. He shoots. He scores. It's a goal. Okay, question number 10. Does Tottenham Hotspur have a ladies team? Yes, they do. Yes, that's correct. 
Yes. The bottom of the league at the moment. Is that I've right? just read this week, yeah. <laughs> he shoots. He scores. It's a goal! I've started, so I'll finish. Okay, and the final question, question number 11. Which animal is on the Tottenham Hotspur logo? Cockroach. Correct. And do you know why? Our bonus point. Because mm. it's got spurs. The, on the yeah. back of its heels. Yeah. You're correct. Yeah, yeah. It says Tottenham Hotspur has sport a cockerel on the crest since the 1921 FA Cup final. Hotspur got his nickname because he wore spurs on his boots so that his horse could run quicker. And he was similarly a fan of fighting cocks, which he also equipped with spurs, apparently. It's not very, um, <laughs> and these can be seen on the current badge of the club. So well done. He shoots, he scores, it's a goal. Thank you for participating, Andrew. You got seven correct answers, which means today you have won today's episode of the Sibsy Mastermind Challenge. Congratulations. Alrighty, Andrew. Well, thanks very much for joining us. Hope you had a little bit of fun there. Yeah, that, um, that, that it looks was, like, yeah. I, th I think I was a reasonably credible set yeah. of responses, even if I couldn't remember <laughs> Bobby Smith. Bobby Brown. Wasn't he a singer? <laughs> Bobby Brown, yeah. He's, he's a singer. <laughs> uh, well, thanks very much for joining us. It's, no, been, it's been great. It's um, been fun. Catching up with you. And um, it's been great hearing as well about your journeys. You've actually got, you've actually got a Tottenham Hotspur pen, have you? Is that Os Spurs. Os Spurs. Oh, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Thanks again, Andrew. Um, take care and thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Cheers. You've been listening to Talking Buildings, a Sipsy Australia and New Zealand production. You can download previous episodes or subscribe to future ones by searching Sipsy Talking Buildings. That's C-I-B-S-E on your favourite podcast app.